to Alchemy, the home of the open mind. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoy the show and the variety of eye-opening guests that we bring to you on a regular basis. We're free, completely non-profit and available on demand from alchemyradio.net and iTunes, Stitcher and all the usual portals and places that you can get podcasts and our listenership is increasing all the time. So are the associated costs and we rely on donations to keep the show currently in its free and advertising free format. I'm very grateful for any help you can offer. You're probably sick of me saying it at this stage, but we put no fixed costs on your donations. It all helps. So if you could spare even the price of a cup of coffee every month, it would go a long way towards keeping us afloat and keeping our output as regular as possible. The donate button is on the website and your support and assistance is hugely appreciated. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. So get following and interacting with us with all your feedback back your guest suggestions and your other input as well so on to the show my guest this episode is clive de carl clive is a health mastery consultant media host and international speaker there's a very powerful quote on his website which i was extremely struck by when i read it and it goes as follows 30 years ago doctors told me there was no cure but i proved them wrong In the over 30 years since Clive's recovery, he's been lucky enough to have advised thousands of clients and is more convinced than ever that most disease can be primarily explained as nutrient deficiency and toxicity. He has been privileged enough to have met, interviewed and worked with many of the leading lights in the health world from whom he has learned so many miraculous solutions to the health issues of today. And this includes not just nutritional remedies, but ranges from breakthrough stem cell and peptide therapy to quantum bioresonance devices, neurofeedback, PEMF, advanced diagnostics and many more exciting vanguard discoveries with the potential to revolutionize our expectations for humanity and health. Clive, I'm delighted you could join me on Alchemy today. How are you? Thank you so much, John. Yeah, I'm fantastic. Great to be here. It's great to have you, and I'm very excited about the conversation that we're no doubt about to have. But there is a juicy question I ask everybody who comes on the show for the first time. You're no exception, Clive. How did you get from where you were to where you are now? Well, um, when I was 11, I had an extraordinary experience. I was fishing in the Bahamas, and we had a bucket, a little dinghy, and a bucket with a glass bottom, so we could see the hooks and we could see all the fish there were loads of fish and my friend was catching fish every minute uh i didn't catch one we switched fishing rods and the moment we switched fishing rods and i touched the fishing rod the fish that were around the hook became instantly disinterested then they noticed that my friend had uh was touching the other one and we could swap fishing rods endlessly all afternoon till i got sunburn that um the fish were reading my mind because right at the start, I didn't particularly want to do it. And I certainly didn't want to put the live worm on the hook. And I certainly didn't want to take the hook out of the live fish. My friend, on the other hand, didn't care and was looking forward to fish for dinner. So I had a, you know, an interesting, you know, I couldn't read the fish's mind, but they were clearly reading mine. And then um, when I was about 15, I discovered I could have out-of-body experiences. And then one day I found myself on the ceiling looking down at myself and I, at that point, my O levels, which had been horrible, went—you know—just 
at a microsecond of remembering who I had been. And then suddenly I was still me, but I was floating on the ceiling, looking down at my sort of rather curiously crumpled body on the ground. And so maybe that answers your question. I don't know. Well, it may do, and I'm intrigued by everything you've said so far. But, like, what kind of effect did the fish experience have on you as such a young guy? Well, it made me question stuff, I suppose. And the floating on the ceiling stuff um, made me realize that I wasn't my body or my brain, and they, they were a vehicle, so to speak. And um, so I sort of lost my fear of death. I haven't lost my fear of suffering, but I lost my fear of death. Then you said your O-levels, which are a state exam in Britain, were horrible. So what was the path for you afterwards? Did you decide to explore that new questioning mind of yours even more? Or was it later on that you decided to actually do something about it regarding a profession? Or what was the background from there, you know? Well, I hated school from the first day to the day I burnt it down. No, sorry, to the day I left. <laughs> and um, uh, when I was on my 16th birthday, I realized I could leave and I left and I... Uh, got a job uh, as a film extra in the desert, and um, uh, you know I sort of didn't look back. I, I you know I've, didn't really want to work for anybody else, and I pretty much found ways, one way or another, to be fairly entrepreneurial. And um, I did a lot of a lot of different things. Um, I founded England's largest contact lens company. I ran a lie detector company. I imported cars from America and Japan. I was on Top Gear. Um, I'd have done, done all sorts of things. I had an organic farm for 10 years. In terms then of the earlier experience that you mentioned, were they always kind of at the back of your mind? Do you think it was your, your, those experiences that kind of framed your questioning mentality that led you onto the road less travelled? Or do you think it was later on that you decided to kind of revisit that? Um, I've always been uh, a tiny bit different to sort of most other people. And, um, you know, uh, I've been a rebel or whatever you might want to call it. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I, I've, ha I've done a lot of experience. You know, I have had a lot of experience of ex explorations of consciousness. And uh, but then when I was about 33, I made a huge mistake and took an antibiotic for, for a trivial reason. I never should have taken the antibiotic. The doctor never should have given it to me. Mm -hmm. The next thing I know, um, uh, my eyesight's going a bit weird. And then um, I begin to get arthritis. And I get arthritis so badly that I have to give up work. Then I can't drive the car anymore. Then I'm having trouble walking. And then I'm in bed. And then one day I can't get dressed. I haven't got the strength and there's too much pain. And they put me in hospital, and by this time, they think I've got a tropical disease, I've become type 1 diabetic, my whole body is just packing up. And for weeks, I was in the observation ward, and uh, they didn't know what was wrong with me. And um, you know, they kept on offering me drugs for the pain and so on, and I explained to them that uh, you know, I, I knew that there was something wrong, but what, whatever was wrong was not a shortage of drugs. No, not their ones, anyway. Yeah. And... Um, uh, after three weeks in the observation ward, I figured it out myself. Although I, could, I didn't have the strength to lift a book, I could turn the pages, and uh, I worked out I was low on magnesium, uh, prim primarily. So I got my wife to wheel me out in a wheelchair, and I started taking uh, a lot of magnesium and every mineral and vitamin and so on I could get my hands on, really. I went to see a uh, health, natural health expert, 
And that guy said, well, you, you know, you've got rheumatoid arthritis, you've got this, that, and the other. And to fix those things, you need these vitamins, and this is why. And um, it took a while, but, you know, th- uh, after a year, I was back, back to normal pretty much. And in the 33 years since, I've never had a touch of arthritis since. All the nasty calcifications, which my joints were covered in, you know, they all disappeared 30, 32 years ago. And, uh, you know, never had a problem since. And um, then about a few years after that, somebody I knew got cancer for the second time. And the doctors had told them that um, because it was the second time, they, it was a kidney thing, so they couldn't have the second kidney out. Mm. You know, that wasn't an option. And my friend said, look, I, I think I'm going to die. And he knew what I'd done. And he did the same but, but better, if you like. And when he did die 20 years later, it wasn't of cancer. Fascinating stuff. And it sounds so simplistic as well. And maybe it is simplistic, uh, but I know there will be people listening who'll be thinking, no, come on, a bit of magnesium can't cure rheumatoid arthritis and cancer can't be cured just by a few vitamins and minerals. What do you say to those people? Well, the thing is that we're self-repairing. You know, we, we, we like every animal, we, you know, we cut ourselves, uh, we bleed a bit, we get a scar and it fixes itself. If we're not well... Obviously, it can't fix itself so quickly, or maybe if we're near the end of life, maybe that that wound would just go septic and it would never heal. But we are essentially self-healing. Our DNA doesn't forget. You you get cancer or something. Your DNA, DNA, your your genes haven't forgotten how to make a perfect version of you. But if you're missing something, maybe you're not drinking enough water, Mm. maybe you're not getting enough sunshine, maybe you haven't got enough magnesium, maybe you haven't got enough vitamin C, really basic stuff. If you're missing one ingredient that makes a perfect version of you, then you can no longer make a perfect version of you. So you might break at your weakest point. Uh, You know, for me, arthritis and diabetes turned out to be my weakest point. For somebody else, it might be cancer or a heart problem or who knows what. But we should be self-repairing. We can self-repair. And... um, we need to look at why we don't self-repair. There are only three reasons why anybody gets ill in the first place. And those three reasons are nutrient deficiency, as I've just discussed. You know, we're missing some nutrient. Or toxic poisoning. And we're all toxically poisoned one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I include in toxic poisoning at school when they told us we were stupid or something. Yeah. You know, so that's an emotional to- toxic poison. Then the third and last reason we get ill would be physical damage. You know, we've been hit by a truck or something. So there are only these three reasons, nutrient deficiency, toxic poisoning, or physical accident. So if you get the toxins out and you put the good stuff in, in theory and in practice, generally speaking, one becomes well. You know, we need all those elemental uh, things, you know, to, the, the things that make us up on, an, on a cellular level. You know, we need, you know, our cells run on a voltage you know we are electrical beings and you can measure it and somebody who's well will be running a healthy voltage uh, and that would be uh, actually slightly in the minus uh, uh, voltage um if if somebody's quite ill their voltage will drop and they'll slip towards the positive now you can change your voltage in a lot of ways what you eat will change your voltage um uh, because voltage is linked to pH, yes. the acid alkaline body, uh, acid alkaline factor the body runs on. So most people, they know that pH 
is to do with acid and alkaline, but they don't actually know what pH stands for. And pH stands for potential hydrogen. Now, uh, we are, us humans, 99% of our molecules are water molecules. So you could say that we're mainly water, and it's H2O, so we're mainly hydrogen. So we are mainly hydrogen, pH, potential hydrogen. You can, you can begin to see that pH could be rather important if we're mainly hydrogen. And if you change your pH, you change the voltage of your cells. And let's say somebody isn't eating green leafy vegetables. I'm not saying everybody should eat green leafy vegetables, but let's say somebody wasn't, and in various other factors in their diet, they weren't getting enough magnesium. You know, the centre of blood is, is you know, iron. The centre of a plant's chlorophyll is magnesium. So uh, a lot of people are low on magnesium because they're maybe not eating enough of the foods that create alkalinity, Mm-hmm. like green leafy vegetables, and therefore they're not well because they've changed their body voltage. Does that does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And I think there is a misconception out there, certainly within a lot of the alternative. I don't even like the term alternative health because to me there's health and there's a lack of health, and that's it, you know. But let, let's call it that for argument's sake. And I think that misconception is that alkaline is always best and acid is always bad, but... From what you're describing, Clive, that's not the case at all. It's that there has to be a pH balance. So what is the optimum balance? And if I ate just green leafy vegetables, that's going to alkalize the body to a degree that probably is not going to be healthy for me if I don't counteract that with some more acidic stuff. So what's the general kind of principle on that? Or how would you go about answering that convoluted question from me? Well, the body has to keep your body, I think it's 7.365 pH, mm. so just slight, slightly on the alkaline side, and it will keep it there almost no matter what... Well, no, no, let me rephrase that. It, it endeavours to keep it there, and it will rob your magnesium levels, for instance. Magnesium is an alkaline mineral. as one of the things it'll do to keep that alkaline balance. So, so the body's hugely intelligent, obviously. Mm. Your, body, your body would never go wrong, for instance. The doctors sort of seem to believe that your body can go wrong. No, your body, your body just adapts to a situation. Um, uh, a really good example, actually, is uh, blood pressure. You know, if, if, if you're worried about your blood pressure, you go to the doctor and you're nervous, when they test, test your blood pressure, it's going to be high. If you're dehydrated when you have go for your blood pressure test, your blood pressure will be high because obviously to pump dehydrated blood, thicker blood round, takes more pressure. If you've been dehydrated for ages, then your kidneys may not be working quite as well as possible and your intelligent body might choose to put up the blood pressure mm. because it would be more important that your blood pressure... Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter so much that your blood pressure is high. It's much more important that your kidneys are working properly, Right. And if you're eating a lot of sugar and carbohydrates, then your blood pressure might be high. Um, all sorts of reasons, loads of reasons why your blood pressure might be high. And so, but often the doctors, you know, I mean, doctors tell me this, that uh, often the doctors uh, just look at the blood pressure, it's high, you know, maybe they measure the cholesterol, that's high, and they decide that the most important thing they can do is to turn the blood pressure down. And now the numbers look great. But there's a problem here. You know, what, what hap- why do you have blood 
pumping around, well, it carries oxygen to the brain, to the eyes, and to the heart, and every cell of the body. So would you ever choose to turn your oxygen levels down? Well, no, because you wouldn't be able to think so clearly. Uh, the blood carries nutrients to all the cells. It carries uh, waste products away. It carries macrophages and white blood cells, you know, all the repairs mechanisms and so on. So why would you want to turn that down? Would there be any benefit? No, there wouldn't. So one's got to look at when the doctor says, I'm going to give you a blood pressure down. Uh, I'm going to bring your blood pressure down with a pill. It's like saying, I'm going, to little, I'm going to turn your volume switch down a bit. Is that all right? Again, you mentioned the numbers look good, but the reality of the human body is completely different. And I do think that quite often we're given the impression, certainly growing up we're given the impression that disease is just something that happens to us. Oh, it's so unfortunate that such and such has this condition, that condition, that disease, whatever it might be. And this is where the pharmaceutical industry and the drugs come in because, oh, well, we've got just the product to cure that disease. But what you're talking about is a much more holistic approach to it. And it begins with the understanding of the human body and why it does what it does. I mean, in, even in the short time that we've been speaking now so far, you have very, very eloquently demonstrated to me why a body might behave in a particular way regarding blood pressure. And it totally flies in the face of the assumption, it's an assumption I would have had based on the, the little knowledge that I would have been given, say, by doctors or people around me or whatever, that, oh, high blood pressure is automatically bad. You've highlighted the fact that there is a reason for that. So does it stand then to reason, or kind of extrapolate further, that all disease has a reason that can be identified and that the problem that so many of us are having is that we're not correctly identifying why the body is reacting in a particular way to a stimulus and that we're assuming that a catch-all drug will just heal the symptom rather than finding the actual cause of the problem. Well, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, our default, I hope, is that we should be healthy and happy. Mm. You know, that would be, you think would be the default for the human. So if suddenly we're not happy or we're not healthy then clearly we're being toxically poisoned, physically damaged, or nutrient deficient. And, you know, we're toxically poisoned, for instance, by government, who take most of our money in taxation. Something which is inherently wrong. I mean, say it to any child, is it okay if I take half that money you've just earned by doing a couple of odd jobs and chores? Of course they're going to say no straight away, but as adults... We're conditioned to completely accept that, but that must have some kind of effect on our subconscious and therefore at some point on our health, or am I completely wide of the mark? Well, clearly, I mean, you know, they, they, they say with, with health, there's sort of a spiritual, emotional and a physical level to it all. And there was a very famous, uh, is a very famous German oncologist called Dr. Harmer, and um, he founded something called German New Medicine, which looked at the emotional basis behind cancers. And what happened with him, you know, he was a famous oncologist in Germany. I think he had a, may, maybe about 20,000 uh, patients or something. And his son was shot by the crown prince of Italy. And um, the son didn't die right away. It took three months for the son to die. And in that time, you know, the famous oncologist and all his doctor friends did their best to save his son's life, but they failed. Anyway... I think, I think about 12 weeks later, the doctor gets testicular cancer and it immediately goes through his mind that his son came from his testicles. Could there be a link? And so he wrote to all his patients who are still alive and said, could you tell me, did something emotional, some trauma happen 
prior to the cancer. And he started collecting the data. And it turned out that um, depending on where the cancer was, it did indeed seem to relate to a trauma. Whether you were left or right-handed also depended where the cancer happened. So you know, left, women who got a cancer in the left breast or the right breast, I can't remember quite what the re reasons are for everyone, but in a lot of cases it was a loss, maybe the loss of a child, loss of a job, loss, loss of a, a spouse, that kind of thing mm. that was a trigger. And so what he announced, there, once he'd done his research, you know, he announced it to the German medical people, authorities, and they threw him in jail. Wow. What a result, it's, eh? It's heresy, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. And we do see so much of that going on in the world around us. Like any time we hear of, um, again, an alternative health practitioner who has stumbled or by design come across some kind of a cure for one of the big diseases, they seem to mysteriously disappear or at, at the very best, they're discredited immediately. And it seems like that's been going on <laughs> for all time. It's getting much worse, though, because let me give you two recent examples which people may not have heard about. You know, the most visited natural health website on the planet has been Dr. Mercola, yeah. Mercola.com. Google have taken the decision to shadow ban him. You put Dr. Mercola onto Google and he doesn't come up. Wow. I know. This is huge, huge. So I interviewed Kerry Rivera about a month ago. My interview, luckily, is still up on, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, they took my last one with her down because she discussed uh, reversing cancer and autism. Anyway, Kerry, in 2005, her son was autistic and aged eight. And Kerry's son, back in 2005, couldn't speak. He was that bad, you know, right. eight years old, can't speak. So she decided what she had to do. She took him off all dairy, no dairy and no grains. Mm. So no grains, that's no corn, no rice, no grains at all, right? So that only left one food he'd eat, which was chips. Okay. Uh, you wouldn't eat anything else. Uh, yeah, a lot of autistic children really go for the carb, the big carb thing. Not all of them, but most. Anyway, so she took the decision to feed him nothing but chips for three weeks. After three days on chips, and they were organic and all that, after three days on chips, the inflammation of his brain went down enough for him to start talking. Are you serious? The grains and the dairy had been so inflaming this poor child's brain that he couldn't talk. Three days, that's all it took in this case. So she wrote, obviously that was 2005, so uh, some years ago she wrote a book called, she wanted to call it Reversing Autism, but she felt that might be too antagonistic. Yeah. So she called it Reversing the Symptoms Known as Autism. So uh, she fled America because the person she was working with primarily, Dr. Bradstreet, uh, he shot himself uh, in the stomach with a shotgun and then climbed up a bridge and threw himself into a river, mm. which is pretty difficult to do. Yeah. Okay. And uh, over 100 doctors working with, in, with similar protocols to her in America being um, disappeared. Some some just murdered, some, you know, anyway. So that's the story. So she fled, and uh, Amazon now have taken down her book. You can't buy it on Amazon. eBay have taken it down. YouTube have taken down all her videos about reversing autism. Facebook have disappeared her. Uh, Yahoo, she had 33,000 uh, contacts. Yahoo have closed her mail account, and her website's gone. 
Incredible. Apart from that, she, apart from that she's e- easy to find. You know? <laughs> of course, and uh, I mean, and this is happening now. And so, you know, what people have got to realise is that, that suddenly they won't know it, but the people that they used to get emails from, or could, you know, that people. It, you know, maybe they think, oh, I'm just not, not getting connected with these people anymore for some reason. But, but maybe they've just literally been disappeared. Well, it's like the old-fashioned book burning, you know. Yeah. So that's what the Nazis did. What are the other ramifications of that, that discovery then, I suppose? Because presumably when the book was available and when Kerry hadn't essentially been disappeared, there was obviously, I would imagine, um, a lot of positivity that came from her from her discovery or what what was her experience or what did she describe to you because you use the word antagonistic and I can just imagine that there are people listening who have first-hand experience of autism and I fully understand how that well I mean I was going to say I fully understand how difficult that can be for people I can't imagine how difficult that might be for some people but to hear then having a lifetime of doctors telling them that no there's nothing can be done this is just something that happens it's unfortunate I can see how that might be a red rag to a bull to people to say, well, that can be just reversed as simply as that. So what kind of on the ground or anecdotal reaction was there to the discovery? Well, I mean, you know, hundreds and hundreds of autistic children are no longer autistic. So there's no shortage of proof. Mm. Right? And um, uh, if you can bear with me for one second, I'm just going to... Uh, I'm going to play you a one-minute clip, which yep. hopefully you'll get to hear all right, of uh, a 10-year-old girl, uh, and just see what she says, okay? And so what does recovery look like? I'm going to click. Hi, Shay. Hi. How old are you today? 10 years old. And can you tell us what it felt like to have autism and Asperger's syndrome? I got tummy aches a lot, I got sick a lot, I had social difficulties, I had trouble at school, I was obsessed over cameras, flashing lights, water, light bulbs, toilets, and computers. I got mad a lot and angry easily, and, and I stemmed on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel today? Recovered, happy, I stopped stimming, and I'm not obsessed over anything. Did you feel like you've recovered? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that's what can happen. People who've been written off by the doctors told it's hopeless, but it turns out that the doctors don't know everything. For any American listeners, chips, of course, being French fries. So that's quite literally from a diet of, in this case, French fries and nothing else. No, um, uh, they did much more than that. The, uh, that's a starting point. Okay, right. okay. Okay. Uh, uh, all the autistic children tend to have certain characteristics, such as toxic metal poisoning. And, uh, you know, uh, not every child has been damaged by the vaccines that becomes autistic. There are, there are a lot of mothers who've given birth to children and they didn't vaccinate them, but yet still they were autistic because the mother was running such a heavy, heavy uh, load of toxic metals. You know, I mean, let, let's say that somebody's, the mum's got lots of silver fillings in her teeth, so that's mercury, then maybe they're not filtering their drinking water and not, not doing anything with their bathing water and they're exposing themselves to all sorts of chemicals in, in non-organic foods or whatever it is, then they can, you know, reason, let's say you're eating a lot of tin tuna. Now, tuna is very high, very high mercury content in the 
old, older fish. So tuna has high mercury. And unfortunately, I've done mineral testing. I test people's mineral levels. been doing it for years. And uh, everybody's got too much mercury, quite honestly. But uh, let, me, let, me give, let me give you an interesting example. Um, years ago, I used to use hair mineral analysis as a way to tell people's toxic mineral load. So let's say you got two children and you, you cut a little bit of their hair and you sent it away to the lab for analysis. You know, for minerals, it's easy to, to do an analysis because you can minerals don't get destroyed by heat. So you can just burn the hair and then you can easily analyze what's left in the ash and you can precisely work out the mineral levels. So let's say you've got two children, you've got their hair and the results come back. One child is very high in mercury in the hair. The other child is very low in mercury in the hair. Let me ask you in the audience, which child is the healthy one? The one that's got the high mercury in the hair or one that's got the low mercury in the hair? I'm going to say the healthy one is the one with the low mercury. And you'd, of course, be right, because uh, you'd, except you'd be wrong. The one with the high mercury in the hair is great. All of us should have high mercury in the hair because we're all poisoned with mercury poisoning because of what we're eating. Just if you're near a coal-fired power station, coal-fired power stations put out mercury into the air. One way or another, we should all have some mercury in our hair. The autistic child, for instance, may have great difficulty excreting the mercury. Normally, we can get it out in our hair. We could possibly sweat it out, shit it out, pee it out, whatever. Mm. But autistic children, low mercury is actually a sign they might be autistic because they're unable to excrete what is normal. You know, this is this is the frightening thing. You know, I used I had a very expensive machine at one point where I could test toxic metals, and it was almost a waste of time, just because everybody was was toxic, and it was just a question of what level. And with a lot of the remedies for toxic metal poisoning, they're the same. You know, vitamin C, brilliant for toxic metals. Sulfur, the the mineral sulfur, which is rich in foods like garlic and onions and cruciferous vegetables, eggs, and ginger, for example. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people supplement. If they think they're toxically metal-poisoned, they can supplement with sulfur, which is quite cheap, very effective. And when you take sulfur into your body and it meets a metal, let's say mercury, sulfur and mercury together, or copper and uh, sulfur, whatever, any, any metal and sulfur together be turn into a sulfate. And the interesting thing about sul metal sulfates is they're all water-soluble, so imagine you had an atom of mercury bouncing around your body because you brush your teeth or eaten some food and it's rubbed off from your filling. Yeah. An atom of mercury meets one of your cells and it kills it. And then it meets another one of your cells and kills it. Now that atom of mercury is not in any way diminished because it's just killed a bundle of your cells. Till you get it out, it'll carry on killing them. Okay, so if you've got sulfur in, then it it, it 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 binds to it and becomes water soluble, or you can flush it out. Is that the way it works? Absolutely correct. It becomes it becomes you know if it's mercury, mercury sulfate. If it's another poisonous metal like lead, it becomes uh, sorry lead sulfate, mercury sulfate, lead sulfate. Any sulfates, if you drink enough water, you you can flush them out. You, you could sweat them out, for example. Okay, very very interesting, and. I mean, you mentioned sulfur as one particular supplement. Are there supplements, um, you've mentioned magnesium also as well, are there supplements that most of us, certainly in the Western world, are almost by default at this stage due to diets and toxic environments or whatever else that we are low in and deficient in and should be supplementing with, in your opinion? The answer is yes, and the good news is it's really simple 
to understand which ones almost all of us are low on, how to recognize if you are low, and uh, how, to, how to find the, a good supplement that actually works, because, you know, a lot of the uh, big supplement companies are owned by the pharmaceutical industry yeah. or by, by arms dealers. Really un- important to understand about the arms dealers owning the health industry. Something is a little odd, maybe. So uh, if I may, I could run through the, the symptoms, say, of magnesium deficiency, and the listeners might be surprised that they might have one. Mm. You don't have to have them all. Just one is enough. So let, let me run through a few of them, right? Not time to go through the whole lot. Okay. Right. okay. If, if you're getting one of the following, constipation, sleep problems, heart arrhythmia, you know, uneven beating of the heart, heart attacks, strokes, muscle cramps, backs of your legs, menstrual cramps, cramps in the feet, spasms, twitches of any kind, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, any bone problems, muscle aching, muscle pain. Uh, yeah, there are others, but, but the, those are the big ones, lack of energy. Um, you know, so most people, particularly over a certain age, will put their hands up to... Uh, you know, maybe restless leg, that's another one. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people get twitches. A lot of people get cramps. Now, if you were to get a cramp, not in the muscle you get it in, but you've got a cramp of your heart muscle, well, there's a name for that. It's called a heart attack. Hmm. So anybody getting any of those symptoms, they're the ones that are more likely to be at risk, potentially, with a heart attack. So... Making sure you've got enough magnesium reduces your risk of cancer dramatically. And there's been proof from medical doctors since the 1930s on this. Okay, so this is fully verifiable and uh, documented in the past. So something as simple as magnesium can be uh, an antidote to these, I suppose, these symptoms of disease. Well, you know, there, there is an argument to say that there is no such thing as disease that disease is not a thing. Mm-hmm. Disease is a lack of a thing, which you alluded to earlier. Disease is a lack of a thing, which is called health. Yeah. So all that happens is we lose our health. Then we make a big mistake often. You know, if I were to lose my health, I would want it back. So what wouldn't I want? Well, I wouldn't want drugs. I wouldn't want surgery. I wouldn't want radiation. I would want my health back. Mm. So doctors, in the five years that they study health, you know, I have a lot of clients who are doctors, a lot of clients who are nurses. The doctors tell me that in their five years of medical training, they did half a day on health. So that health includes, in this case, minerals, vitamins, essential fats, uh, oils, carbohydrates, proteins, amino acids, peptides, you know, all the things that make up nutrition, tr- all the trace elements, half a day. The rest of the time, they're learning about drugs. And probably how best to sell them, because I know from my experience of going into a GP, a general practitioner or a doctor's surgery in the past, and it's been a long time since I have, thankfully, but the default thing is the pad comes out and here, I'll write you a prescription for something. And it's always something generic. I always felt, and this is from quite a young age, I always felt that I wasn't listened to by a doctor and that they had decided before I came in how I was going to be treated for whatever malaise that I had at the time. And this is my personal opinion. Many people might disagree. You might disagree with me, Clive. Perhaps you won't. But... I think the doctors are almost there as 
an excuse for us to abdicate our own personal responsibility for our own health. I see it with so many people around me. So, okay, it's grand. The doctor will cure that. There's this pill for it. There's that pill for it. There's the other pill for it. To me, that's an abdication of personal responsibility. It was something I decided a long time ago that I, I had no truck with anymore. And I just didn't want to, 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 to deal with doctors if I could avoid it. And I'm sure there are many very good doctors out there. But in my experience, something just didn't quite have the ring of truth for me or it didn't quite jive with me. So... Would you, from dealing with your clients, have found the same thing? Would that be a reason that a lot of people might come to you? Or do people come to you for health advice because they've exhausted all other avenues? What's the general kind of stories that you hear and why people are directed towards you? Well, you see, my feeling is that when the doctor picks up that prescription pad, well, if they were to to explain it, why they've picked it up, Mm -hmm. they would say something like, I'm really sorry, but you're a hopeless case. There is nothing I can do for you at all to benefit your health, but I can drug you, and it'll probably be for life, and you'll probably need a few more drugs to deal with the side effects of these drugs, and it will shorten your life. Mm. Uh, That's my take on a prescription pad, because we're not low on drugs. We're not. Those are treatments. They're bandages. They're short-term fixes. They're whatever they are. I mean, people might say, ah, but antibiotics... But let me tell you, it was an antibiotic that almost killed me. And if I'd listened to the doctors, I would have been dead 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, they were talking at that point that the future for me would entail cutting my feet off. Lovely. I thought so. <laughs> Let's go back then to that time. You decided to take your health into your own hands. How much of a learning curve was there? Did it become an all-encompassing thing for you or was it just a gradual journey and what led you then to start to help other people? Again, was that something organic or did you decide, no, I have to let as many people know about the discoveries I'm making as I possibly can? Well, I was very lucky in that when I was 16, I got got introduced to uh, macrobiotic, the Japanese way of eating. Mm. And while I didn't become macrobiotic or anything, I had an introduction to to health at at the the, the sharp end, if you like. So I'd always been interested in organic uh, right from when I was 16. And at that that point, organic shops barely existed, except the old old people who still hadn't decided to spray death chemicals on their foods. Um, Let me give you just just an example. I was an organic farmer for 10 years. Um, Just imagine... That we, you know, we're sitting around the table, and somebody rushes. This woman rushes in and says, "Look after my baby. It's hungry," and rushes away, and we can't find her. And we got the baby, little baby, and we got we got to feed it some food. You know, it's, it's old enough to have food. So, what are we going to feed it? Well, there's one one thing we could decide on all of us easily. We're going to feed it the best, right? You yeah. Know, no question. And then let's have a discussion about how much poison we should give the baby. Shall we give it 5% poison, 10% poison, or no poison at all? Mm. Okay, it's obvious. Obviously, we're not going to poison the baby. Now you look at your shopping basket. You know, that baby didn't exist, by the way. That was a non-existent baby. You exist. You're more important than a non-existent idea. So in your shopping basket, is there any poison in there? Well, you know, unless you're buying really natural food that's been grown without chemicals, yes, there will be poison. Would you eat your shampoo, for example? Because when you get in the shower or the bath and your pores of your skin open wide, in goes whatever you rub in it. Yeah. You rub skin, you rub a thick cream on your hand, where does it go? Well, presumably into your bloodstream, maybe it goes into the brain, I don't know, maybe it goes into the liver, the kidneys. 
you know, anything you touched, washing up liquid, soap, shampoo, whatever, if you wouldn't eat it, you know, you've really got to reconsider. So, so many people are ill. You know, 150 years ago, hardly anybody was ill with heart attacks or, or um, cancer, you know, 1% or something like that. Now it's 50%. So what's changed? Well, the food, you know, the toxin, the toxin level. And, you know, humans are like top of the chain because you can poison us and we get knocked down, we can get up again. We're pretty good at that. But we're being poisoned now at such a level. I mean, in World War One, they put chlorine gas in the trenches to kill millions of people. They put chlorine in our water and we're bathing in chlorine gas. You know, this is insane. Yeah. Fluoride yeah. was used in the gulags and the concentration camps. They're putting it in toothpaste and in some cities in the water. This is insane. They make the water crystal clear and sparkly by putting aluminium sulfate in sometimes with the water people. Everybody needs to ring up their water supplier and say, look, um, can you tell me, does my water come from a lovely clean reservoir or an underground aquifer or somewhere lo lovely, or is it recycled sewage? Because if your water is partially recycled sewage, they're not going to be able to guarantee that they can get all, all the Viagra and the Prozac and the birth control pills out of that water supply. Mm. And so if you're not filtering your water and you're drinking, bathing in chlorine, this is an issue. It's going to affect your thyroid and every... It's going to affect a whole load of things like iodine, for example. And so people have got to wake up that if you want to be well, continue to be well, or get well, whatever, you've got to clean up your act, you know, get rid of the toxins and start putting real food, or if you can't get real food, and by that I mean you freshly picked it right now from an old variety, not some seedless rubbish that's too weak to even you know, uh, have seedlings, you know, the food we've got is so changed from what it should be, what our, you know, our ancestors wouldn't even have recognized milk. They'd look at this white liquid and they'd say, well, hang on, milk's creamy colored. You know, this yeah. is, it's not even the right color. Yeah, and I suppose there are many myths around nutrition and lots of them leading to ill health. And I think one of them for me certainly would be dairy because I first-hand experience of the havoc that that can wreak on health in terms of my own. Going back to the imaginary baby, what would most people give to the baby? Probably cow's milk. Yet the milk that people are drinking isn't even really cow's milk by the time it actually hits the shelves and then they consume it. So what would be some of these nutritional myths? Like for me, one being that we need to derive our calcium from dairy products. To me, I, I know that that's a complete myth. But what else is out there that a lot of the listeners might kind of assume is good for us, but actually isn't? Well, calcium, we're told, we're sort of led to believe that, that people with bone problems should, should supplement with calcium. And nothing could be more stupid, uh, except for a very small percentage of the population who do need calcium. Most people, the bone problem they've got is, is a magnesium deficiency. So that's, that's one myth. There's the cholesterol myth. Uh, there's the statin insanity. Tell us a little bit about statins, actually, because that's something that's um, obviously a huge issue in the United States and now latterly in Europe as well. Like I, I hear of so many people here in Ireland talking about statin drugs and this, that and the other going on. So tell us a little bit about that, because that's potentially a monster one, I think. Well, you know, in the UK, I think the numbers are something like 11 million people on statins. That's virtually all the old people in the country on statins. So why are they given the statins? Well, they're told that there's too much cholesterol in their arteries. Now, it's like shooting the messenger in a war. 
you know, just because there's too much cholesterol in the arteries, does that mean that cholesterol is the bad guy of the equation? What if, and this is what I believe, and a lot of people believe, and I think there's a lot of proof, that actually if your arteries were compromised in some way, let's say you hadn't got enough um, magnesium so the arteries weren't as flexible as they should be, maybe they're calcified, maybe you haven't got enough vitamin C, which is vital, enough vitamin D, you're not getting enough sunshine. Let's say that um, the arteries might be in danger of cracking in some way, rupturing. Well, that would be dangerous. So the liver, even if you're not eating cholesterol, it can make it from other things. The liver can make cholesterol, and it does, and lines the, in, the inside of the arteries literally like an internal bandage. So the doctors correctly recognize there's an issue. There's a lot of cholesterol in your arteries. But as I say, they take the root of the cholesterol is the problem. Let's reduce that. It's the same as the blood pressure. Ignoring what the reasons might be for high blood pressure and just going straight, straight for the obvious Let's lower the cholesterol. But there's a big problem of lowering cholesterol. Um, all the cells of your body, one way or another, have a link to cholesterol. Your brain is mainly made of water, as you know. But if you took the water away and you've got that wobbly bit of brain left, well, that's primarily fat, primarily cholesterol. So when the low cholesterol, low fat advice started coming out and people started switching to margarine, that's when Professor Alzheimer, for the first time ever, saw this new disease, this brain-wasting, you know, and he had to call it after himself, hadn't been seen before. It was a margarine and refined oil disease when people, you know, in the old days, the word cream, by definition, meant the best. Yeah. Cream of the crop, fat of the land, you know, the prodigal son comes home, they don't get out the lean steak, they pull out the fatted calf, you know. Always in history, uh, you know, the idea has been that cream is good, and then suddenly they demonized it. You know, it's a bit like, you know, what rises to the top? Well, cream rises to the top. What else rises to the, to the top? Scum rises to the top. And so where the cream should be looking after us from a governmental point of view, if you like, instead we've got the scum. Yeah, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. I'm going to use that one with your permission. <laughs> mm, feel free. Yeah, so we're we're storing up all these these massive problems without real, really realizing what the problems are, and a lot of the solutions are very very simple. And you've described some of them, for example, sulfur, magnesium, presumably vitamin C and D are massive as well in terms of the effect that they can have on general health and potentially the deficiency that we all might have in them. Would I be correct? Well, you know. As I explained with minerals, you can burn them to the ground and they're still all there, but vitamins get destroyed in food pretty much from the moment you've picked it. So by the time it's come from wherever, been in a couple of warehouses, you know, been in the shops, sit, sat in at home waiting for you to eat it, the vitamin content is going to be drastically lower than our ancestors would have experienced if they just picked the apple off the tree and eaten it. So um, you, you combine that with the hybridization of the foods. So... Now the potatoes are like five times bigger than they used to be and they grow ten times quicker, whatever it is. you know, They've changed the structure, the mineral and vitamin content of what a normal potato or carrot or whatever should be made up of. So one way or another, we're all starving because the nutrition in the food is gone. Mm. I mean, when I was young, the average field w was much smaller than it is now. And often there were trees around the field and the trees would send the roots down deep mine all the minerals up from the strata of soil, and then in autumn, 
fall spread all the leaves on the field and so the, the field would be remineralized all the time and then if they were growing a crop of wheat or corn or something they'd harvest uh uh, the wheat and the corn, and then they'd burn the stubble down to the ground, putting the minerals back in again. Yeah. Now that's illegal. So they're taking the minerals out and not putting them back because the trees are gone and the burning stopped. And so we're getting food that's empty. You know, it's basically empty. So to compensate for that, they spray chemicals like you know NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, the all all the chemicals that were left over from the First World War for making bombs. They now um, put on the soil and a plant will a lot of a lot of plants will grow reasonably happily on mpk but uh, we need every mineral not just a few we, you know, we need the lot and uh, this is the unfortunate thing now our ancestors didn't have to supplement obviously they were foraging food and eating the wild mushrooms or whatever and uh, but now if you're not lucky enough uh, to eat the top grade food then really supplementation is the only way but myself I supplement with a few things that I know I need. I know I need magnesium, so I supplement with it. And I supplement with vitamin C, and I supplement with vitamin D in the winter only. Mm. But um, whereas most people might need to supplement with a multimineral, multivitamin, I don't because I go foraging. And I like to pick uh, the top leaves of stinging nettles, wild garlic when it's around, um, dandelion leaves, and I can put those in the blender with some organic olive oil and any nuts that I feel like, a bit of garlic if I want, and I can whiz up a pesto of those bitter herbs, which when, once, you get, once you get your taste buds around, around it, for a lot of people really like it, and so I'm eating raw, wild food, fresh, because I just picked it, but when you make pesto, it's still fresh, but the oil preserves it, so it lasts a week or something. Yeah. And yeah. so... You know, I'll eat the blackberries when they're out. You know, I literally gorge myself on blackberries, and I'm picking hawthorn berries when they're ripe for my heart, rose hips in the winter when they're ripe, suck the rose hip off and spit out the rest for the vitamin C. You know, I, I'm lucky. I live in the country. Obviously, this isn't something that everybody can do. But there's usually some waste ground somewhere that with all sorts of wild stuff growing. Um, but one way or another, we have to get real and get these toxins out and get the nutrients in, you know. Yeah, and is is there a way then to discern what good supplements are versus bad supplements or what brands are good? I mean, because it is a minefield out there. I mean, you're talking about who actually owns a lot of the big supplement companies now. And for the average consumer, it's very, very difficult to know what to do because you, you go online or you go to your local health store or whatever it is, and you're bombarded by as much advertising and as much product, product pushing as you would be in the local supermarket. So what way can people kind of inform themselves on what the good stuff is versus the bad stuff if they decide to supplement? Well, it's a very important question because it is hard to tell. You go into any big health food store and, as you say, you're spoiled for choice. How do you choose? Well, uh, there are a few guidelines that I could suggest. One is that you're looking for the minimum number of ingredients in terms of no additives. You know, um, Quite a lot of the uh, supplements um, have these, these flow agents. You know, let's say it's a tablet. Well, then there's some glue that's glued that together. So capsule would generally be better than a tablet because at least it's powder rather than glued together but um, to make the capsule machinery work well and not get the powder clogged in the machinery they tend to put in um, various slippery chemicals to make it all work better and um, 
So what you're always looking for is as pure as you can get. So with vitamin C, for instance, I actually sell, sell my own brand of vitamin C um, to make sure that people get, get good stuff. You know, most of the vitamin C in the world is, is made from genetically modified corn. So you go out and buy ascorbic acid or pretty much any vitamin C, chances are, unless it clearly says non-GMO, mm. it will be GMO-derived. So I think that wipes out 98% of all, all the vitamin C. Then there are different forms of vitamin C. You can get food-based. You can get uh, ascorbic acid. It's still essentially food-based, but technically ascorbic acid and the ascorbates are synthetic. Now, normally, I recommend to people, if you see synthetic, don't do it. But with vitamin C, all the big research has been done with the ascorbic acid and the ascorbates. So what I do, uh, I, I, I get pure powders because if you put powdered uh, ascorbic acid or, or mixed ascorbates into water, you can just drink it and it, the ascorbic acid tastes a bit sharp like lemon juice. Not everybody likes that so much. The ascorbates are the alkaline version of vitamin C and, and for some people they taste much better. You know, I, I put about uh, four or five different types of ascorbates. You can get magnesium ascorbate, sodium ascorbate, potassium ascorbate, and so on. Mm. And so I, I think a little balance is, is good. Some people say, well, look, you need bioflavonoids to make vitamin C work properly, and some of the vitamin C supplements you see contain bioflavonoids. My recommendation is don't bother with that. Try eating fruit or vegetables. You know, there are other ways to do it. Yeah. So yeah. pure powders. Then if you're thinking of a multimineral, it's worth understanding that um, most multiminerals, multivitamins, are using synthetic vitamins. If your multivitamin, multivitamin, is one a day or maybe two a day, chances are it's fully synthetic. Now, with vitamin C, synthetic vitamin C, as we've discussed, is okay. But with some of the other uh, synthetic vitamins, E, A, and so on, uh, you, A, you may not want it at all, but B, you certainly don't want a synthetic version of some of those. So... Um, if I were to recommend multimineral, uh, the one I generally recommend uh, is Dr. Mercola's. He does what's called a whole food multivitamin, multivitamin and mineral, and you take eight a day, eight a day, because it's made from food. It's real, so you actually do need eight a day. Okay, because generally, again, going into your local health store or whatever, and you're looking for a, a, a multivitamin or a mineral, it is generally one a day or maybe two a day and that's it. And that's nice and convenient, isn't it? And you look at the back of the box and it says you're getting A, B, C and D and that's all brilliant. But in the real body or the real world, that doesn't make necessarily sense, especially if it is synthetic. Well, a good example might be, uh, for instance, uh, folic acid. Now, uh, folates from food, most people can get on with those, but they recommend to pregnant women they take folic acid, which is is uh, a manufactured version of folates, and not everybody can get actually get on with folic acid. Some people can do badly on it, but it does appear uh, that um, uh, it, I, I believe it's a genetic G defect called uh, 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 in a gene called the M MTFR gene, and um, so, uh, so some people just can't get on with folic acid, which is co commonly in the recommended uh, multiminerals, folates you're generally accepted to be a, a better way forward. And I'd like to say at this point that anything you think you've heard that I've said, um, 
you need to double check it for yourself. You know, Mark Twain, the famous author, said, don't believe what you read in a health book because you might be killed by a misprint. So better that you take everything I say as just anecdotal hearsay. And if you think anything might apply to you, you know, don't go on anything you think that I've said, because I might have said something accidentally wrong. You know, go and check all these things yourself. And there are a couple of websites that are great for doing that. Uh, Green Med Info, greenmedinfo.com, earthclinic.com, doctoryourself.com. There are loads of, uh, you know, in, informational uh, websites out there. You know, even if you went on to a search engine and people like Dr. Mercola have been banned from Google are recommending a search engine called Brave. Uh, there's DuckDuckGo, there are a few of them. And you could go, go, go on those and... Um, you, let's say you've you got fibromyalgia or something. You could put in fibromyalgia plus the two magic words, which are natural cure. And while about three entries down, the third entry is usually the pharmaceutical companies telling you that whatever you're thinking of, vitamin C, will almost certainly kill you. All the other things on, on the first page will be the natural cures. You know, that information really is there and people are suffering without ever doing their own research to see, well, maybe they could educate themselves because how the heart works isn't that complex. The medicines to, that the doctors use to fix the heart, they're very complex. Five years to learn how to use them safely. They're all poisons, really. Yeah. But for you to learn how your body works, you know, we're so programmed that only doctors know the answers. But actually, maybe it isn't that difficult. Yeah, perhaps not. And there's a question I'm going to ask you, Clive, which may seem very obvious, but I know there will be many listeners out there who will be wondering. When things can be simplified, and they appear to be simplified based on our discussion, and why wouldn't they? Because most things are actually quite simple when you break them down. Why are cures against the law? Surely our esteemed governments should be trying to help us, no? Well, let, let's, let's go back in time a bit. 1939, there was the uh, Can Cancer Act, Parliament passed an act giving the monopoly on curing cancer to doctors. So nobody, nobody at all, can claim to cure cancer. That would be against the law. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, that's when the pharmaceutical industry publicly started buying out government. They bought a monopoly. You know, the fact that only doctors can, in inverted commas, cure cancer, surely that's against the Monopolies and Mergers Commission, isn't it? The fact that only dentists can work on your teeth. Surely that's a monopoly that I don't think should be allowed. I'm not sure. So uh, the corruption started early, and there's what you know, you know in politics they call it the revolving door. You know, you're the minister of, of defence, war, one minute, and then you're the uh, hi highly paid director of British Aerospace or something. You know, the next year, and then you go back to being a politician again, and you know, and it's the same. Unfortunately, with the, I mean, Jeremy Hunt, you know, the ex minister of health. Uh, he has done, in my opinion, my personal opinion, you know, uh, the most terrible damage to everybody's health. Because, you see, you know, the it's a misnomer to call our system the health system, you know, the health service. It's not. It's a disease management service, isn't it? It's not really health. Yeah, and of course, for profit all the time. Well, follow the money always. You know, the thing is that a round of chemotherapy might arguably cost, I don't know, 40,000 pounds, 40,000 US dollars. Uh, a bundle of vitamin C might cost you 100. You know, some people have 15 rounds of chemotherapy. So, you know, that could be three quarters of a million 
you know, dollars or something. That that's just absurd. Um, and uh, it's a lot of money. And I don't believe. You know, I mean, I mean, look at the charities. You know, cancer research and all those. Uh, they're looking for a cure, but there isn't really a cure for cancer in the first place because cancer in one sense, is, all it is is a lack of health. All, all we have to do to be healthy is to get, get regain our health by checking out the toxins, getting the nutrients in, and then whatever's wrong with us, whatever part of the body wasn't able to function as it normally should, should go back to normal, shouldn't it? Well, it should. So we're looking at it all wrong, really, then, because if there isn't a cure for something, there's a lack of something that is causing our body to react in a particular way. So it stands to reason, then, that a pharmaceutical cure, in inverted commas, isn't actually going to fix the problem because you haven't addressed the root cause. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but like it really is very, very simple. So if you remove the pharmaceuticals for a second and you identify what the root cause is, and let's say it's a lack of magnesium, you then start to supplement with magnesium or make sure that your body has enough magnesium to reverse the process, suddenly you're healthy again and you've regained your health and you've done that without putting some kind of foreign toxic poison into your body. And while you might get short-term relief from the symptoms of something with allopathic medicine, as it's known, that's not really going to fix the problem. And would that be the reason that so many so-called diseases such as cancer or whatever it might be go into remission and come back? It's because the actual route hasn't been addressed. It's just the symptom may have been successfully treated. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, I don't believe that people uh, recover because of chemotherapy generally. I believe people recover despite chemotherapy. I mean, chemotherapy, if you look long term, 10 years, you know, I, I think the Australians are probably the ones that have done the most research on this that's published. 2.7% uh, is the, the really long term survival rate. But if you give somebody a placebo, you know, a little white sugar pill, for instance, it's going to work 20% of the time generally. And you know, a lot of research has been done on placebos because you've got to remember that the placebo is the most researched drug in history. No other substance has been researched as well as the placebo, if you think about it. Yeah. Anyway, turns out that if the placebo is blue, it works better than a white one. If the placebo is in a capsule, works even better. If that capsule happens to have two colors, works even better. If it's got a little letter stamped on it, it's even more effective. I mean, you know, so uh, let me give you an example. Uh, something that happened to me about three years ago. You know, sometimes you get results that are just so wonderful. You know, somebody's got all these problems and then suddenly they don't anymore. Anyway, I had one. It was this chap who comes and he's got... Uh, real muscle pains, you know, masses of pain, and he's got a pro problems with his eyesight, and he's got some neurological problems that he can't think clearly. So at that point, I've bought four very, very high-tech uh, frequency devices, and I explained to him that I'm going to be running the frequencies that will heal his eyesight. Uh, yeah, I'm not, quite, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more, you know, uh, in. Other people who've been treated in this way have often experienced these great results. Mm. So, you know, I filled him with a bit of hope, if you like. And um, an hour later, he's the happiest client I've had all year. His eyesight's fantastic. His brain's working clearly and all the pain's gone. And I glance over and I realize I'd forgotten to switch the machines on. <laughs> right? That was him. It was all him. You know, I didn't tell him about not switching the machines on. I didn't want him to know that. Yeah, don't ruin it. <laughs> but, you know, so the, the thing is, 
how much of every reversal of disease we see is to do with that outside thing that you've added, like vitamin C, and how much was it that we are capable, using our mind, to get better? I mean, and so I don't know the answer to that anymore. I've observed in many cases that um, people get better. Every doctor has seen spontaneous remission. You know, every doctor's seen it. They've been in practice for a while. Somebody's got better, just got better. They can't explain it. Yeah. And so I think everybody needs to appreciate that we as human beings are so much more powerful than, than we were taught at school, that we are capable of amazing things. Let me give you two examples. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, something like that, uh, a group in Canada were doing experiments with an fMRI scanner. So the difference between an MRI and fMRI, fMRI, you can see the brain in real time, so you can see people, people thinking and responding to things. So they had this woman who was very ill in a hospital in London. They put her in the fMRI scanner, and they said to her mum in Canada, think healing thoughts to your daughter now. And, and the fMRI scanner showed the daughter's brain light up at the moment that the mother had thought about her daughter. And the research later showed that the closer you are to the person that you're thinking about, the more effective that connection you know, uh, is. So they did a lot of other experiments once they'd figured out that we are all connected in this way and our thoughts do, do have actual you know, cr creative potential. They uh, put another person in an fMRI scan and this time they got a random generator to randomly generate images. Now half the images were friendly like a flower or a butterfly or something. Mm -hmm. Then the other half were unfriendly like something scary like a car crash. So it turned out that every time they showed a picture of the flower, there was, there, was, there was really no measurable brain impulse particularly that went on. But every time they showed the picture of the car crash or the scary spider or whatever, even though the, the brain might have seen it 100 times before, there was always the same negative reaction to it or you know, some reaction. Anyway, the weird thing was that they, they realized immediately that the brain was reacting several seconds prior to the image being generated. In other words, that time is not what we think and that some parts of us are receiving information ahead of time as, as we know it. And I experienced this myself when I was very young. <clears throat> I just bought an incredibly powerful motorbike and as I lost it, going much too fast around a corner, I suddenly uh, found myself the observer in the situation. Mm -hmm. I observed, as the bike flew through the air, my body untangling itself from the handlebars and the pegs and so on. And I, I was, it, everything was gone slow motion, ludicrously slow motion. I just watched my, my body do this incredible little dance in midair. And I found myself folding my body in, into a fetal ball and, where, and time was going so slowly. And when eventually I hit the ground, I didn't hurt myself at all. And I, was, I had no bruising, no, no cuts, no nothing. And I started rolling. And I was rolling and rolling. And it was getting boring. I was rolling for, <laughs> like seemed like minutes. And at that point, I thought, oh, well, yeah, I must be going slowly now. And I put my hand out. And I, I got ripped to shreds. And I put my hand. And I carried on rolling. And the only injury I had was where I'd overridden this automatic system that it cut in. I still don't know what happened, but something 
and I, I think it's linked to this thing that we have a, a sense of, of time beforehand, was able for some automatic system in my body to go into all the mechanisms that were necessary to save my life. That's absolutely fascinating. And it reminds me of a phenomenon that I've experienced a number of times, quite a lot actually, and it's to do with that state um, of dreaming just before you wake up. So I will, I will notice quite often as I'm having a dream, I might dream, for example, that somebody has um, knocked on the, on the front door of the house. So I'll wake up because somebody has done that. All of a sudden then, when I'm awake, somebody knocks on the front door of the house. So I'll go down, answer the door, and it turns out that I'll ask them, did you knock twice? No, they just knocked the one time. And that happens in so many situations to me, time and time again, where it's almost like my dream immediately predicts something that is about to happen that I couldn't possibly have known about when I kind of use any so-called rational thought process. Something out there has preempted it by a couple of seconds and has caused me to react as if it's already happened before it happens. So it sounds a little bit like what you're talking about there. Maybe, maybe they're in some way linked. Everybody's experienced the, oh, I was just thinking about you thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've all experienced uh, precognition. And uh, so, you know, there's there so many examples I could give you of... Uh, how the body can self-repair, and how our thoughts can seriously affect um, our reality. Um, I used to do a thing on stage, I didn't do it anymore, because I didn't want people to figure out how I was doing it, where I'd, I'd, I'd ask who's really strong, and you know, some big tough guy would come up to the audience, and um, I, 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 it's a Tai Chi thing. Uh, you can think your uh, opponent's weak, and... Um, I used to demonstrate how I could take their strength away. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are so powerful in what we can do. Um, you know, so powerful. It, it's uh, Anyway, um, I, can I talk a little bit about iodine for a moment? Absolutely. I'd love to talk about iodine because it's, uh, it's so important and so neglected. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So the symptoms of low iodine can be walking in a room and forgetting why you walked in. Forgetting where your car keys are, dry skin, thyroid problems, putting on weight, um, cold hands and feet maybe, or the other way around, temperature out of control like at menopause. Um, you know, people might just have one of those, you don't have to have the whole set. But, but it gets interesting where in, in England, um, almost everybody's low on iodine because of the chlorine and the fluoride and the bromine and the flour improver in the bread and in the biscuits and so on. Mm. Um, if you're low on iodine, then your hormones don't work properly. You can't think straight. Anybody who thinks they, if they reckon, if you recognize the term brain fog and you feel like you're in a brain fog, iodine will almost certainly fix it. You're in England at menopause Nine out of ten women, something like that, this is what the doctors tell me, get um, hot flushes. But in Japan, it's only about one in ten. Much less breast cancer in Japan than there is in England. And that's because they're eating so much iodine in the seaweed and the fish and everything all the time. You know, because they eat seaweed, most of them, all the time. Mm. Um, and it's protecting them. Just like magnesium is protective for heart and cancer and so on, so is uh, iodine. And... Um, we're all low on iodine, pretty much, 95% of us when I was doing the testing. And uh, it's so cheap, you know, 20 quid will buy you a bottle of iodine, 
Um, and uh, but uh, anybody sh- anybody sh- thinks they've if they've got any of those symptoms, watch a video called Iodine: Why You Need It by Dr. Brownstein, and you'll be amazed. I think because I've only covered the, uh, a fraction of a few of the iodine deficiency symptoms, but it's, it's useful to know that. Hundred years ago, you went to the GP, and the GP didn't know what was wrong with you. You got some mystery disease. Um, they gave you iodine in, in the form of Lugol's iodine, by the way. And you, you asked, uh, uh, "How do you tell what supplements are good and, and what aren't?" Um, and I got partway explaining that one. Now, with iodine, my favourite version is called Lugol's iodine, which was dis- developed by Professor Lugol I don't know, 200 years ago. It's just potassium iodide and pure elemental iodine and when I started taking it my hands and feet warmed up and my brain I thought went from okay to to what I think is reasonably sharp Hmm. Uh, I really noticed it and most people do you know the most common thing people say when they describe the results of having taken iodine is is my brain fog listed and they remember why they walked in the room and all of a sudden the uh, the caffeine intake goes down as well which is quite often used to try and counteract that brain fog which I think most people um, experience when it comes to getting up out of bed I think a lot of people will know exactly what brain fog is and I'm somebody who from taking Lugol's I don't have experience exactly what you're talking about a lifting of that brain fog and a certain mental sharpness that may not have been there before so I can testify to that firsthand as well there are a couple of other things I'd like to kind of uh, pick your brain on if that's okay Clive Sure. Them being uh, perceived cures for things so such as MMS, which is something that became completely demonized in Ireland. MMS became quite popular in Ireland maybe five or six years ago. And there was a major clampdown and uh, there were documentaries done on how evil it was and how bad it was and how terrible people were going to kill themselves and poison their children, etc., etc., that being one, another one being hemp oil um, or Rick Simpson oil. We've had Rick on the show before to talk about that. What of these kind of alternative cures that in most cases are completely illegal in a lot of countries? Have you any experience of people who have used those or even any anecdotal evidence of people who've had positive results from things like that? Well, you know, the thing is about MMS that, that it's chlorine dioxide. And you can go to any camping shop and buy tablets of chlorine dioxide because that's water purifying tablets. Yeah. So how water purifying tablets can suddenly be demonized and evil is a little hard to say. Um, you know, anybody interested in MMS should uh, read about it online. Uh, if it's telling you it's going to kill you because it's bleach, take that with a pinch of salt. The, the tricky thing about MMS is it smells like bleach. So, you know, it, um, you know, on a curse, you know, anybody just cursory smelling it would think, well, this is bleach, this, this isn't nice. But, of course, uh, uh, just because it's got a bleach smell doesn't mean it's a dangerous type of chlorine. And chlorine dioxide is so safe that in, in English hospitals, uh, Matron, 100 years ago, used... Um, uh, it's made from... The, the ingredient that goes before that is sodium chloride. Used sodium chloride and chlorine dioxide to just clean the wards. You know, it's the most fantastic disinfectant. So bacteria and viruses hate it, obviously, which is why it can be so effective. And, of course, Kerry Rivera, that I mentioned earlier, uh, the one that's been banned, um, MMS is her primary uh, tool for reversing autism. Yeah, I've used MMS on and off over the past number of years, and I found it, like, for example, 
if I have a cold or a, not so much a flu because I think most people tend not to get the flu they just call colds common colds the flu but it's amazing how MMS can knock out a cold for example like almost immediately it's it's just incredible and even things like skin problems that I would have had I found over time all but disappeared completely and never came back so again MMS is one that uh, it certainly can be used safely and I think if people research uh, what it is Without the scare tactics, um, I think there's a world of healing that can be done via, as you've described, the actual facts as opposed to that scaremongering that I've mentioned. The thing is, with with powerful healing modalities, and I I include all the things we've mentioned as as potentially very powerful, um, you take too much of anything, then various things could happen. It, you know, thing, your stomach could get upset and the things we're familiar with like that. But in some cases, if you take too much vitamin C, too much MMS, the po- there is a possibility that, let's say, the pathogens, the bacteria, the viruses, the worms, the parasites, whatever, if you kill too many of them at once and now you've got dead pathogens in your bloodstream, you might feel awful. And uh, why you occasionally get... Uh, people saying bad things about any of these things, but particularly MMS, is MMS is so powerful and you don't want to take too much. You really don't. I experienced this myself. Uh, I, I took too much MMS and I felt ill for ages, you know, a few days actually. Right. Uh, um, and so uh, a tiny little bit is the way to start and uh, be totally mindful that you're, you know, it, MMS is my my... my Tool of last resort, actually, because it's so powerful. Yeah. And but uh, years ago, you know, before before it was demonised, and as it is now, you know, you can't even buy it uh, except in the camping shops. Um, the um, before it was demonised, I used to like going to festivals, and I'd take uh, ready-made MMS with me and uh, uh, as a liquid, mix it up with some water, and um, take a, a lemon, fresh lemon, and. People know what I do often. Uh, they come up if they've got toothache and stuff. And without fail with MMS, just, just as a mouthwash, not even swallowing it, using it as a mouthwash wash every hour and then spitting it out, uh, with, within 24 hours or much less generally, the nastiest tooth pains, infections usually, usually go away. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. That is remarkable, and teeth in themselves are remarkable as well. And it's something that's... Uh, I'd love to do a show on that sometime with somebody because... Teeth seem to be treated by dentists and by people in general as just these these kind of dead stones in our mouth, but they're they're a part of the living body. What can you tell us about teeth and teeth healing? Because things like cavities can be healed by what we ingest and what we put in our body and things like that. So from mercury fillings to healing cavities, what kind of light can you shine on teeth and how important they are to our overall holistic health, Clive? Well, um, the whole tooth subject is so huge. I've actually got a masterclass on teeth. Uh, I've got something called the Secret Health Club, and if you join the Secret Health Club, the first masterclass you get is about eyes, because they're getting 80% reversal of blindness in Russia right now. I mean, it's ridiculous. Second one is about teeth. So, as you rightly say, you know, our teeth are alive. The, you know, if you broke your fingernail, you got a cavity in your fingernail, you wouldn't get it filled. Yeah. If you've got a cavity in your finger, well, that's a cut. You know what to do. You leave it alone, you keep it sterile, you don't rub food into it, and if you're healthy, it'll regrow. If you get a cavity in your tooth, you wake up one morning and it's ouch, 
well, you can fix it. Easy. You don't have to go to the dentist. That would be absurd. Uh, if it's just a cavity, well, you've got to, you know, obviously you've caused that cavity, so you're probably not getting enough minerals. The regrowth of teeth is called remineralization. So if you've got a tooth problem like a cavity, you might be low on vitamin K2. You might be low on magnesium, a number of things, vitamin C, vitamin D. Um, or you might be eating way too much sugar or something like that. Uh, but if you left your mouth alone for a day or two, depending on how healthy you are, and if you did have to ingest something, it should be maybe something like, I don't know, cucumber juice or celery juice or something that you knew wasn't going to irritate. If, if, you, if you feel you could rub it on your cut, on your finger, then you could probably eat it. But, I mean, ideally, you might want to not eat anything, just drink water for a bit. Anyway... Uh, your your teeth are regrowing at a rapid rate. So every time you eat something, you're grinding them down, you're brushing them. You know, so re teeth are regrowing so fast. So if you've got the minerals and vitamins and everything you need to regrow teeth, well then why go to the dentist? Just regrow it. Yeah, it stands to reason. <laughs> the problem is that dentists don't get paid generally not to do anything. They get paid a lot of money the more they do. Mm. And I think there are a lot of people right now who may be thinking, I think my dentist drilled that hole for the money, not for a good reason. You know, in the old days in China, the medical system worked like this. The family paid the doctor. If somebody in the family was ill, the family stopped paying the doctor. So there was an incentive for the doctor to keep everyone in tip-top health. But doctors in the West are generally paid by... Uh, treating ill people with stuff, and the more ill people they've got, the richer they become. And curing people makes them poorer, so keeping them ill must make them richer, mustn't it? I mean, something's a bit wrong. Well, like you said, follow the money, because the health system, as we know, it certainly isn't about health, it's about money, isn't it? It is, absolutely. But luckily, um, supplements are compared to drugs, incredibly cheap. You know, it, am I allowed to give a little bit of personal advertising here? Go for it, absolutely. Well, uh, I'm in the process of launching uh, uh, my own brand. You know, I, I used to have a brand called Ancient Purity, but I, but I sold that some years ago. And you know, I started that because I, I didn't know where to get the good stuff. And I actually did so much research to find out where to get the good stuff. And then I tried some of the good stuff and, and got a huge effect. So I started a company. So now I'm starting another one in the next couple of weeks or so. My shop will be on the website and people will be able to buy stuff. In the meantime, if you want to buy anything I've talked about, uh, or we'll talk about hopefully if we've got time to talk more, um, uh, my website is called Clive Decarl, C-L-I-V-E-D-E-C-A-R-L-E.com. And... Um, then I also have the Secret Health Club, which is a private members club. It costs £100 for a lifetime to join it. And basically what I've tried to do is to take all the, the information that I've learned over the decades and try and put it into small categories, you know, like autism or arthritis and so on, and have some really key videos and key articles that, that narrow it right down. You know, it's not information you couldn't get anywhere else, but it's edited and condensed in a way that, that pe people are finding useful. And you can join that by just going on clivetocar.com. And Clive, because you've helped so many people over the years, have you faced any opposition from, I don't know, maybe the mainstream media or people around you or whatever? Has there been any kind of backlash to the work that you do? Because we've discussed how there is a backlash to so many people who are actually trying to really help people outside of the paradigm-based mainstream 
big pharma type industries. So what has your experience of that been or has it been all plain sailing? Uh, I've been lucky generally compared to others. Um, Fiona O'Leary cancelled my last Irish tour by ringing up, uh, ringing up a hotel, for instance, and cancelling me. I called the Guardi and, you know, it's just you know, people do stupid things. Um, other than that, the government, when I was working with UK Column, I wasn't really the target. UK Column were the main target. And I was make, working, making films with them. The government rang up and gave us 24 hours to take all our videos down or face massive fines um, for various reasons. And, you know, I, lots of my videos get censored off YouTube. They just disappear. One day when I was working with UK Collins four or five years ago, all of us had the same experience. You know, what I used to do is go to the studio and then I'd get home maybe about midnight and I'd open my computer and see how many people had watched it live. You know, it'd be whatever, a few thousand or something. And uh, then I'd close the computer and I'd reopen it again in the morning to see how many people in America had watched it overnight. And then one day, it happened to me and Crane, everybody, all our numbers got turned down. And instead of, you know, there were 10,000, know, whatever, 1,000 the night before, and then there were 40 the next day. One of my most uh, watched videos, they turned it down to 400 the other day. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, we're seeing this over and over again. I've it started off even even with alchemy with um youtube being completely demonetized and recently the the purge has begun whereby some of the videos are being removed obviously by the ai and algorithmic system that youtube are using and there's really no recourse there's nothing can be done with regard to that if one chooses to use some of these platforms so be it you, you've got to abide by the uh, the constantly changing rules and goalposts but when it's an entity such as government which are clamping down on something that is so beneficial to people and when you see people trying to take responsibility for themselves and their own health and to help others and that's been clamped down on, well, to me, well, it's it's very, very frustrating and infuriating and many other adjectives beyond that. It also tells us that we're completely on the right track and that we're doing the right thing as regards what is ethically and morally um, right and what's in line with natural law, I think. Well, quite. I mean, um, my friend Max Egan was telling me a story earlier on this year about this criminal in Australia who was planning a bank robbery. His smart fridge overheard him and called the police. He's now in prison. This is the way it's going. And, you know, if people like Mark Steele are right and Barry Trower, they are weaponizing uh, the world with 5G and uh, we could all get fried. Yeah, and Mark Steele is somebody who I hope to have on Alchemy very shortly, a very, very interesting individual, and thankfully he's not languishing in jail in the UK, as could quite possibly have been the case a number of weeks back. So um, regarding EMFs and electromagnetic toxins, because we are surrounded by them all the time, we're pretty much living in a soup of them now, have you any kind of advice on how one can mitigate some of the harmful effects, Clive? Yes, um, one wants to make sure that all the receptor sites for the essential nutrients are full. For instance, when Fukushima went off, um, the people who had sufficient iodine in their iodine receptors would have been immune to the radioactive iodine because we have receptors. So if the radioactive iodine is in the air and your receptors are empty or low on iodine, then the radioactive iodine has somewhere to get in. But if you've got full nutrition, then the receptor sites are happy and the radioactive stuff floats on by. This is my understanding. And um, so I think the best thing one can do 
is to make sure your body is as resilient as you can possibly make it, which means eating food that isn't chemically poisoned and so forth. So again, take responsibility ourselves rather than looking for some kind of magic wand to cure something that goes wrong. But also get rid of the EMFs. Turn your router off uh, from Wi-Fi mode on your computer and uh, hardwire it, get a D-Link or something. Yeah. Turn turn your Wi-Fi off at night. uh, Make sure your mobile's not on at night. Don't don't sleep near a cordless phone charger because they're they're nasty. Don't put baby monitors that are Wi-Fi anywhere near your baby. The good news for mothers now is that there are wireless devices in in nappies that will ring your mobile phone when it's wet. Yeah, you know? stop it. Tell me you're not serious. I'm serious. Oh my god. And uh, so we need to get the EMS out of our life. But the smart meters, you know, I did a talk uh, AV10 with where Mark Steele was talking. Yeah. And I asked him, do you think the smart meters had something to do with Paradise, California? You've seen the pictures of Paradise, California. Yeah. Okay, anybody who hasn't seen the pictures of Paradise, California, go onto your favorite search engine and put in Paradise, California. And what you'll see is the town of Paradise, and I believe they chose it because of the name, mm-hmm. which is uh, all the houses are burnt to a crisp. It, it was blamed on a forest fire, but all the trees are still standing. And but all 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 the metal goods, the fridges and the ovens, they're all burnt, they're all dissolved, they're all you know burnt, just like nine eleven. Just it's all dropped in its footprint. And I asked Mark if this was an energy weapon attack, could the smart meters have been the targeting method? And he felt that uh, the smart meters were involved. If you've got a smart meter, get it taken out. Uh, uh, insist that uh, as an untested device, you don't want it, and get an ordinary meter put back in. And we don't need this crap. For people who think that, oh, yeah, it's great, you can talk to your fridge or whatever it is, it tells you when you need to buy a new cucumber. Realistically, we don't need any of this absolute crap. It's ridiculous. It is really, really scary the way the Internet of Things is forming in front of our very eyes. And, I mean, we, we, we held technology. Now people are wearing technology. Then the technology, no doubt, will be embedded. And people seem to be embracing it the more ridiculous and the more outrageous it gets. So we're going to see dramatic changes over the next few years, unless people decide to actually do something about it and to detach from the box in the corner of the room and decide, no, enough is enough. We don't want this anymore. Because you do hear of communities all over the UK and all over the US as well, who are successfully resisting the onset of 5G. And how long that will last for, I don't know, but it is a positive sign. I mean, if enough people stand up and say no to something, well, there's very little that the so-called powers that be can do about it when there are so few of them and so many of us. Well, the town of Glastonbury has got the council to put a moratorium on it. Rome has, Brussels has, cities around the world are waking up because what's happening is the people are going to the councillors and telling them, you do realise that government have shifted the responsibility of health to the mayor, to the councils, and that you know, all you've got to do is ask the mayor, would you be happy if we took a newborn baby and put it under a 5G mast for a few hours? Would you be happy with that? Mm. Have you... Research, as you've got the responsibility, Mr. Health person in the council, have you researched it? Can you assure me in writing that me and my baby are going to be safe? 
And the same with the doctors. You know, if they want to vaccinate you, you or your children or granny or something, you've got to say, look, uh, I want you to put in writing that you have studied in depth all the ingredients of this vaccine because you, you do realise, don't you, Mr. Doctor, that if I, let's say the ingredient is formaldehyde, which is a common ingredient, mm. uh, antibiotics, aluminium, which they have to put in really to irritate the cell to get the vaccine to go in, then there's the DNA of the chicken egg maybe they're growing the vaccine in or the DNA of the dog kidney or the monkey kidney. Or if it says that the ingredients, always look at the ingredients list of the vaccines, if it says human diploid cells, then obviously it's been, the virus has been bred in dead babies. Um, if you gave any one of those ingredients to a baby as food, they'd send you to prison. Yeah, yes. and rightly so. Yet the government can inject all of them in combination, never been tested ever. People think the vaccines have been tested. No, they haven't. The world is upside down in so many ways, and it's up to us to write our own place in that world, I think. And if the government mandated vaccines and there was no way out of it, I would ask my doctor to vaccinate me with a homeopathic vaccine because it's been proven that homeopathy as a preventative works in one of the biggest homeopathy trials ever, which was in Cuba. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, it was years ago that I read about it, but I, I'm pretty sure if you just put homeopathy experiment protective Cuba or something into Google, uh, you'll find it. And I'll see if I can find a link while I'm, while I'm speaking. Uh, but it, I, I can't remember, 20,000 20, people or something like that. Um, uh, and uh, you know, every year when the wet weather comes or something, there's, there's some bacteria or something which, which affects a lot of people. Mm. And all the people who had the homeopathic uh, preventative, uh, almost all of them were fine. Um, you know, there's so much evidence for homeopathy. I mean, for instance, you know, in England, 100 or so years ago, I can't remember the exact number, but there were something like 20 homeopathic hospitals in England. You know, there's still one, I believe, in Glasgow, one in London. But there were 20. Now, you don't get to be a ho one hospital unless you're good. Uh, but to be 20 hospitals, that's a lot. But that was nothing in comparison to the herbalists, to the electromedicine department. You know, Guy's Hospital in London first started an, ele an electrotherapy department in 1847. Wow. You know, we forget the history of things. You know, multiple sclerosis patients often go into hyperbaric chambers. The first hyperbaric chamber was built in 1664. That's incredible. I know. Um, you know, ozone was discovered in, I think, 1783, and the ozone generators we use today are still basically the same design that Nikola Tesla perfected in, I think, 1895 or something. You know, I'm a great fan of Nikola Tesla's work, uh, and, you know, near the end of his life, he said his biggest regret was he hadn't spent more time developing healing devices. But, of course, he did develop three Uh, he developed the ozone generator, and of course there are two types of ozone generator. You can get the non-medical type, where if you've got poisoned water, for instance, or poisoned food, it's got pesticides or whatever sprayed on it, you can bubble ozone through water, and ozone uh, will neutralize virtually every chemical there is in a couple of minutes. You can buy an ozone generator for £20, $30. Uh, then there's the other type of ozone generator, which you run on pure oxygen, And uh, if you were to look up ozone therapy, you'd see the remarkable results 
uh, that you can achieve using ozone therapy. And of course, written out of history, Tesla, Tesla's written out of history. You know, yeah. people know about his name because of the electric car, not realizing that Tesla obviously was the father of modern electricity. You know, he perfected AC power that's, that we use today and normal electricity. He perfected remote control. You know, he he made perfected the electric motor, you know, biggest genius ever. And he made two other healing devices apart from the ozone generator. Uh, one was di- diathermy, and the other was the violet ray. And uh, uh, I um, use both devices. Diathermy is still in hospitals today, but they don't know what 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 it can really do. Um, violet rays have been written out of history. Uh, all all the all the electrotherapy departments were basically closed down when the Rockefeller-based drug cartel took over medicine by basically bribing all the all the medical schools. Yeah, Rockefeller, I think you probably know. They, he, he basically he offered millions and millions of dollars to the medical schools if they stopped teaching electrotherapy, stopped teaching herbs, stopped teaching homeopathy, yeah. and focused only on drugs, radiation, and surgery. And of course, he won the game. And here we are now. Everybody's indoctrinated to think that uh, drugs work. You know, I've interviewed loads of doctors. You know, I've got hundreds of interviews on YouTube, and uh, I've interviewed loads of doctors. And I asked them questions like, when did you first cover up for a death or a serious mistake that one of your junior doctors made? And they, it's, you know, they, they say, oft, often they tell me, you know, it was in weeks. You know, because never go to a teaching hospital you know, now now the, doc, the doctor here is going to do an operation. They've never done it before. It's the first time they've ever done it. You, you don't know. Yes, yeah. you ask. Um, so then um, the doctors tell me stories like this. They say things like, uh, within a week, we realized that the exams were so hard that we had to cheat so that the morals and ethics uh, of these young doctors are tarnished right from the start they realize they have to cheat to, su- to succeed then they're super tired because they're overworked and then usually it's for the start of the second year apparently the professor comes in and says something along the lines if you do realize that half of everything we're telling you is wrong but we don't know which half but don't worry about it because by the time medical sciences move forward by the time five years in five years time we'll, we'll have a much clearer understanding of the science but of course this was a big fat lie can't remember whether it was the British Medical General, the Lancet, that did a sort of like a meta study, an overview of all the claims made about all the drugs that the super wonder drug is going to cure everything. And the efficacy rate was only about 9% or something. So after a while, the doctors finish medical school and they're in practice and they're realizing the drugs aren't working. That this is, you know, they, you know, most doctors believe that the science is in, all the research is done, the drugs work 100% or pretty close to it. Then they discover that, you know, as the Lancet or the BMJ showed that it's about 9% success rate, they're going to get very depressed. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of doctors of clients. I had one just come to one of my workshops about three weeks ago, and he was super depressed with the whole doctor thing. And I said, well, quit. What the hell are you doing? You've w- woken up to the fact the drugs aren't working like you thought they should. Quit. And he said, but my mortgage, my wife, my children, I'm earning, you know, big, fat salary. And, and he was really upfront with it, you know. It's yeah. the money. And I said, what I said to him is, look, actually, you're really needed because a doctor with all that training, the physiology that you know and understand, that's fantastic. It, uh, there is a great shortage of real doctors who've stopped giving drugs and are now doing it naturally because with both 
feet in both camps, knowing the body like they do, you know, they should do well. It might seem like I'm bashing doctors, but there are some doctors who are just brilliant. Um, I used to... um, um, I spent a a time working with neurosurgery and uh, microscopes, and um, I, I got to watch a lot of neurosurgical operations, and some of the neurosurgeons... Uh, I thought were the most saintly, incredible people. I knew knew one guy, he could go through three sets of nurses. If he felt this person needed a 24-hour operation on the brain using microsurgery, you know, high-powered microscopes and so on, he'd go through three sets of nurses while he he worked round the clock. And I saw people whose lives were so, you know, so there's incredibly good doctors. The doctors I really like are the emergency room doctors, because their job is totally different to the drug-peddling GPs. I'm sorry, GPs. Yeah. Um, and that is to save your life. So what do they do? You know, we mentioned magnesium earlier, right? So somebody comes into the emergency room having a heart attack or a stroke. Let's say they're having a heart attack. What does the intelligent emergency room doctor do? They inject that person with magnesium because magnesium relaxes all the cells. Immediately, bam! the heart attack's eased because magnesium has, has allowed relaxation of the heart muscle. Yeah. So you'd think that while the emergency room doctors know how important magnesium is, that they should be teaching the GPs that magnesium prior to the heart attack might have meant they didn't have one in the first place. Well, exactly. So it's logical, yeah. you might say. But, of course, they don't teach that to the GPs because a patient cured is a customer lost and if the GPs were taught magnesium, uh, well, the heart surgeons wouldn't have so many jobs, and so on. Yeah, and the system needs to propagate itself. It's uh, an issue. And, and, and it's one that we, the people, need to change. You know, we, at this point, need to stand up and say, government is not working, we don't want to be governed. When government goes on holiday at Christmas, they shouldn't come back. Do things get worse at Christmas when they're not making laws? No, they don't. We should say to all the soldiers and armed people in the world, you know, the, the, the Navy and, the, and so on, we should say, look, do you want war? Most of them will say no. Mm. So, look, we'll, we'll pay you double not to do it. Yeah, exactly. Help families, you know, the money we'd save from not having war, even if we did have to pay them double, we could kickstart the economies of the whole planet. Well, everybody, everybody wins then. Everybody wins. I mean, it's that simple. There's only one problem in the world which is psychopaths are running it. Yeah, yeah. That's all. You know, uh, let's say you made the Dalai Lama minister for war, global minister for war. (laughs) You know, I I don't know the guy personally, but probably we'd be all right. You know, so unfortunately, you know, a lot of people are, are scared to look at the big picture that actually maybe we've been conned when we went to that child's indoctrination camp called school Maybe we wasted our time and were taught not to think, not to be inventive, not to realize our true potential, and uh, we've been enslaved. My definition of slavery is we do all the work and they take all the money. Well, welcome to the world. Well, that's exactly it. And as we start to wrap things up, Clive, have you any kind of piece of advice that you would impart to the listeners with regard to actually taking responsibility for their own health or what should be the starting point for people who might be listening now and they're hearing your words of wisdom as a, as a kickstart 
for them? What What's the first thing they should do or what should they check out or should it be a kind of a broader thing in terms of um, an overarching shift in mentality or what would you have to say? Well, you know, self-educating is not that difficult. I mean, most doctors believe right now that your blood pressure should be 120 over 85, not realising that the Joint National Committee in America has just reset that number to 159 over 95 because too many people were passing out on the drugs. People need to wake up. The doctor won't have heard this news probably. People need to wake up to the fact that um, you're not low on a drug. All you've got to do is educate yourself to find out that uh, you can fix your Alzheimer's use it, putting back the materials that have created the missing brain in the first place, cholesterol. Cholesterol is a wonderful thing if you want to rebuild a brain, minerals. Um, we need to get self-educated and we need to uh, help everybody else, frankly, um, because people are dropping down dead unnecessarily. We've been lied to. Anything you think you know about health, you've got a question. I mean, salt. Real salt is grey and it's damp and it's called Celtic salt. You can buy a kilo of it for almost nothing. Or, you, know, you can just buy it online, Celtic salt. In the Second World War, the Navy used seawater in place of blood plasma because it works. The salt that kills you is sodium chloride, the table salt, the powdered salt. Sea salt that you buy in the supermarket that's white and dry, it's been bleached. That's not real salt. Real sort of grey and damp. You know, it, it's getting the basics right, filtering the water. Um, and uh, if anybody needs to contact me, they can reach me through uh, com. My email is clive at clivedecarl.com. And, um, you know, I give talks and workshops and make YouTube videos. And uh, I also do consultations. You know, I'm not inexpensive, uh, uh, but uh, for people who can't afford to consult with me, they can join the Secret Health Club, which they can find on clivedecarl.com. And uh, you've actually, we've a lot of Irish listeners, uh, funnily enough, and you're coming to Ireland later in the year. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I am indeed. Yes, thank you for reminding me. Um, yeah, so I'm in Ireland uh, at the Open Minds Conference in Waterford, which is the 8th to the 10th of November. Lots and lots of interesting speakers, as far as I can see. And uh, looks like a nice, you know, I, I think it should be a really interesting conference. Um, and I'm hopefully going to uh, put on a talk and hopefully a workshop in Dublin. And if people want to invite me to places, uh, you know, if, if enough people want to, want to hear me, I'd be very happy to come. And you know, in the UK, I'm talking in uh, various places over the next few months. Okay, I'm in Glastonbury. I'm, I'm in Glastonbury and in Pusey and Wilkshire every month, actually. I'm in Bristol on the 16th of August. I'm in Southend on the 31st of August. I'm in Philadelphia in America at uh, Anarchadelphia on the 13th to the 15th of September. And I'm, I'm doing, doing a few other American uh, venues. Uh, then I'm in London on the 28th of September... Uh, Sussex, 8th of November, and, and, and so on. Oh, and then I'm in Tenerife. Uh, if anybody wants to come on a four-day energy medicine retreat where some of the real experts in um, uh, energy medicine are going to be uh, explaining what they do, and it's four days where people will not only learn how all these incredible devices work, 
but uh, actually um, get treated on them and and um, uh, diagnosed with them and so on. Um, before we go, I think I should tell you my di- definition of diagnosis. Have you heard it? I- I'd love to hear it. Well, gnosis is to know from the Greek. Mm. Agnosis is not to know. So diagnosis is two people not knowing. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Fine words indeed. And have you any parting message then to the alchemy listeners, Clive? Yeah, just just take control back and make sure you sign up to the alternative uh, media sources like, like Brave or, you know, uh, DTU, BitChute, whatever you can that are decentralized uh, because we have to get off the, the, the central stuff and go go to the decentralized platforms, the VPNs, the virtual private networks, whatever it takes. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of basing everything off offshore right now, so I'm so I'm not so you know trying to find ways so you can't get taken down. Absolutely. And if anybody wants to copy any of my videos and put them onto other other channels, you have my full permission to uh, da- download them and then re-upload them. Because they're, they're, they're taking them down all the time. They took them down last week, took them down two weeks before. Uh, you know, my, my videos are disappearing. Yeah, as I think any kind of alternative um, information or knowledge videos seem to be, the purge is on. And, of course, your website, again, is clivedecarle.com. That's C-L-I-V-E-D-E-C-A-R-L-E.com. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Clive, it's been fantastic and fascinating speaking to you today. Thank you for joining me on Alchemy. Thank you so much. Uh, all the best. Thank you. Alchemy. 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 Wow! I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. Sugar and spice I feel nice Sugar and spice I wouldn't
If you've enjoyed this episode of Alchemy, remember we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format and are always grateful for any help you can offer. No fixed cost on the donations. The donate button is on the website and every little bit helps, so thank you in advance. Thank you indeed to everyone for your recent help and donation. We really couldn't do it without you. So until the next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy. Alchemy. Care. Will, intelligence, imagination.